This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Your Money on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Your Money, Sirius XM Channel 132, Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. And I'm Kent Smethers, a professor at the Wharton campus here in Philadelphia, but we are still taping segments on Zoom until we can safely begin live shows from the studio. In the meantime, you can connect with me by going to my website, kentonmoney.com. If you're looking for a financial advisor that I like, I have a large and growing list of fee-only advisors. Remember, that's what we want to memorize, only fee-only. And uh, I have pre-screened for um, their approach to, of course, being fee-only and my approach to low-cost passive index investing. So the Fed made uh, news last week when it announced a major policy shift saying that it would let inflation run hotter than normal to help the economy bounce back from the coronavirus pandemic. And that's a big shift. I mean, the whole debate over the many years, remember that even as a PhD student in graduate school 20 some years ago between rules and discretion was a big debate back then. Now they've decided to go discretion and allowing the economy to maybe even have an inflation rate above 2%, which was their previous target. So our guest today, uh, Jessica Dickler, will talk about that uh, potential impact for you. Jessica is the writer and editor who covers personal finance for CNBC.com. And prior to joining CNBC, she worked at CNN uh, Money, SmartMoney.com, WallStreetJournal.com, and many others. Uh, Jessica, welcome to your money. Thank you. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for having me. And so uh, we're going to talk about your excellent article uh, recently on the CNBC.com about the new Fed uh, strategy. So just explain uh, listeners who maybe were not following the news that closely, you know, uh, what is this new territory for the Federal Reserve? Yeah, so this is a pretty major policy pivot for the Fed. Going forward, Fed Chairman Powell said the central bank will be more inclined to, like you said, let inflation run a little hotter than its standard 2% target before it hikes interest rates again. So that basically means that the Fed's going to let borrowers benefit from cheap money for an extended period of time. Yeah. And that's certainly, you know, as of course, the stock market responded quite positively to that. I mean, a lower discount rate obviously means cash flows become more valuable and present value shifting a lot more potentially to, towards stocks. But, you know, is talk about the downside to inflation. I often refer to inflation as a death by a thousand cuts because a, a bit more inflation can really erode purchasing power if your portfolio doesn't keep up. Right. So this kind of monetary policy is one of the ways they're trying to encourage everyone to get money out the door and spend it. It does not pay to sit on cash. So in general, it's good to borrow at low interest rates, but the reward for saving is lower. The Fed's new strategy is actually a double whammy if you can't keep up with that 2% target. So on the one hand, the Fed is saying it's going to keep its interest rates low. That means that savers are earning less interest on their savings accounts. And as inflation picks up, they're losing buying power over time. So if you have that money sitting in a savings account, it's going to be worth less, you know, five and 10 years from now than it is today. 
Yeah, and people, again, often don't really understand inflation. We often think about the biggest the stock market decline on the annual basis is still as 1929. In fact, after you adjust for inflation, the OPEC oil crisis in the mid-1970s, well, a smaller nominal drop when you compound it with the higher inflation and the Great Depression, we actually had deflation. Um, it, it, the 1970s were even slightly worse. Um, even 1929. So inflation can really have a big impact. So let's talk about interest rates because, um, you know, of course, there's a big distinction between nominal and real interest rates, but interest rates are already at the record lows. Uh, talk about that in, in particular. Uh, the market certainly thought that that would mean the low stays the lows for a long time. Right. So, yeah, the the federal funds rate is really what the banks charge one another for short-term borrowing. That's yeah. not the rate that you and I pay, but the Fed's moves still impact the borrowing and savings rates that we see every day. Um, like, for example, credit cards have a variable rate, which means there's a direct connection to the Fed's rate. And since the central bank lowered its benchmark rate to near zero in March due to the coronavirus crisis, Credit card rates have fallen to about 16%. That's down pretty significantly from where we were just a year ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, other yeah. short-term borrowing rates like personal loans or home equity lines of credit are also really low right now. But like you mentioned, there's sort of two sides to this coin. Yeah, yeah. And, and certainly, I think, you know, we can't... Um, go, I mean, it is possible <laughs> to go below zero, but uh, I think, you know, the market was really like pricing in this idea that, you know, they thought rates would eventually start to go up and they're going to stay lower potentially for a, a fairly long uh, a time until at least the real rates as opposed to nominal rates if inflation kicks back. I, you know, it's 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 going to be a very you know interesting you know area. I had Alan Greenspan on campus a couple of years ago, and I asked him, does the you know does the Fed really control those longer rates, the ten-year rates? You know, it's always always supposed to be this tail that wags the dog, and I didn't think that the Fed had much control over it. But as you said, you know, the market still believes that they have you know some uh, control there. So uh, let's talk about then practical issues of buying homes and refinancing mortgages, um, you know, before inflation starts rising and, and so forth. Do you think it's a good time to kind of refinance? And suppose that somebody has, let's uh, a 30-year mortgage, you know, and maybe they have 20 years left on that and that mortgage. So they um, bought a little after the financial crisis was over, let's say, and they maybe have 20 years left. You know, what would you say is the interest rate that they, you know, it's kind of that break even where it kind of makes sense for them to think about refinancing. I mean, yeah, basically it's a great time to refinance if you can swing it. And if you can lower your 30 year fixed by like half a percent, it probably pays to do it. Yeah. Um, mortgage rates right now are near record lows. So refinancing is a great opportunity. Um, as soon as inflation starts to rise, those mortgage rates are going to go up too. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's, 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 you know, uh, having a fixed rate mortgage, of course, a great inflation hedge. I don't really need a mortgage, but I still carry one for that purpose because it's really challenging outside of government, you know, tips or, you know, I-bonds to get that inflation hedge. Uh, and you you mentioned the home equity lines of, of credit. Of course, those are a little bit different in the sense that those are not fixed rates. Those are variable rates. Would you rely more on the HELOC right now? 
Yeah, I mean, securing a HELOC is a great way to borrow money pretty cheaply right now. And it's been um, very popular. The only problem is it's harder and harder to get one. Despite yeah. these rock bottom rates, banks are really tightening their lending standards to reduce their risk during this uncertain time. Yeah. So that makes it harder for everyday people to access cash this way. Yeah, and it, 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 you nail on the head, and it's 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 really challenging for banks to often you know understand of who has a job and they they really want. Yeah. Um, it's costly for them to take over your house as collateral, which is you know one reason why the HELOC is so cheap. On the other hand, they really in the end don't want to do that. Um, you know, in a uh, you know in the macro economy, it's kind of going down. Let's talk about that in credit card statements. Um, you mentioned that a bit those rates are starting to come. Down. What, what, how much have they come down? We still, I assume, would not want people to use credit cards for spending that they absolutely don't have to do. We were talking about breaking, you know, repairing a broken water pipe or something like that, at least if they're carrying balances. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, when the Fed cuts short term, it's short term rate, then credit card rates follow suit. But I would say, I think in the last year since where we were a year ago when the Fed started cutting rates, um, the APR on your credit card has probably come down about a percentage or two. Um, it really depends on your credit worthiness, but um, it's still, still credit cards are a very expensive way to borrow money, even at 16%. That's a high interest loan. So as popular as it is to run up um, a balance, that is not your most effective way to um, to take on debt. So for anyone that has this kind of credit card debt or some sort of revolving balance, there are these zero interest balance transfer offers out there. And that's a great way to move that balance to another card and get, um, you can get a year or more to make payments without interest. And that can be a tremendous tailwind for getting out of debt more quickly yeah. and at a lower cost. Yeah, you know, no question. I mean, at the same time, what are we seeing on credit cards? Like you said, in terms of balances, the interest rate, as you pointed out, it hasn't come down that much. It can't be so much of people going from payday loans to credit cards, and they're all very high interest rate. But the macro economy is obviously worse, and people have lost some income, and now we're seeing some of the unemployment benefits start to expire. Uh, there will be certainly a few weeks before we get more information about that particular uh, aspect of it. But uh, what have you been seeing about uh, uh, credit card usage itself during this time? Well, credit card usage has ticked up, but like you mentioned, if you're worried about your job security, you want to get one of those zero balance transfer offers that I mentioned yeah. now rather than wait. That might not be available to you if you don't have um, income coming in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is, do you think now is a good time to pay down credit cards? You know, um, it's, uh, you know, it's certainly we always want people to have a good buffer you know, uh, for, for precautionary saving and so forth. But uh, would, would now be the time to start thinking about that? Or would you actually say, you know, maybe a, a bigger buffer? No, I think now is a great time, especially if you just got a stimulus check or you're, you know, there's some way that you can put money towards high interest debt. I mean, that's going to, the high interest credit card debt is costing you more than anything else. So I would pay that down before you start to, you know, build up a cash cushion because right now we're kind of in, you know, very uncertain times and you want to protect your financial security as much as possible. 
Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 certainly the, you know the usual rule of three months of expenses. You know, a lot of advisors are now saying kind of six months and mm-hmm. and so forth. But you know, if provided you have that, it maybe call it six months of expenses. Um, you know, it, it's it's certainly if you're getting money that you don't really need, <laughs> I put that in air quotes there of need. Um, you know, paying on a credit cards versus splurging is is definitely the the, the way to go. And so finally, let's talk about investments and retirement savings. We kind of talked about on the stock market side. Talk a little bit about the therefore what that means for the bond side. We have. 10,000 Americans retiring every day that some of that might get postponed a little bit, but that wave will will continue through the 2030s. They're looking for income, you know, producing assets. Talk about uh, the bond side of what you see going on there. Right. So that's the tricky part because the Fed's willingness to tolerate higher inflation means that longer term investments like bonds are going to offer a lot less opportunity. Um, bonds are looking less less attractive under this sort of new strategy. Um, but the stock market, on the other hand, is looking great. Um, as you mentioned before, the Federal Reserve has made it as clear as possible it will stay in this easy money mode, and stocks love that. And it's not going to go away anytime soon. Yeah, and it's a, everybody loves easy money until the back end kicks in and they right. <laughs> realize... Uh-oh. And my biggest fear, of course, of all, all this is that when the Fed does move against inflation, maybe a little bit too late, which historically we know is often the case with kind of easy money. But fantastic article. Uh, great job summarizing it. Uh, Jessica, thanks for, so much for coming on the show today. It's great talking with you. Thank you. You too. And you can find out more about uh, Jessica Dickler's uh, terrific work by going to the website cnbc.com. I know that you've heard of that. And just, you know, in the search box, you can look for uh, Jessica Dickler or you can follow her um, uh, at Twitter. Her handle is at jdickler. And uh, Kent Smith, you're listening to your money. Uh, Business Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 